Hello and welcome to another episode of the C4 podcast. Purpose of this podcast is to learn more about our colleagues in Cohort 4, HEC Paris MSIE program, and share some of our experiences, insights, uh, etc. We hope this will help increase engagement and uh, spark more conversations within the cohort. This is Fuad Sader with Peter Svigam. I hope I pronounced that right. And with you is Peter. Yeah, very good. Good try on the name. I think it's quite accurate, actually. Um, but yeah, we have strange names up in Norway as well. So I understand it can be a little difficult for, for other people. But no, it was very good. Thank you. How are you doing today? Doing great. Just came back from the beach. Actually, it's been a really hot summer, at least the last week. So I just was out swimming today and with my family and it was mm. very nice. That's nice. That's not how hot when you say very hot. <laughs> well, for us, this is very hot. So it's, it's 32 degrees right now Celsius. Um, so for us, that's, that's very tropical. Yeah, that's, that's about 90 Fahrenheit for, for, for the yeah. Out there, according to the weather authorities in our country, any night, any night when the average, when the temperature doesn't dip below 20 degrees, is considered a tropical night here. And then they start yeah. giving advice about drinking enough water and things like that. Mm-hmm. But it's it's uh, <laughs> we're a little bit tougher when it comes to the snow, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I I've been to uh, no, haven't been to Norway, but I, I've been to. Uh, Denmark in uh, November, and that was too cold for me. <laughs> so, and, and Denmark's actually not that cold. It doesn't really even snow that much there. Yes, I've heard. So, <laughs> if you ever come up here in the winter, <laughs> we can uh, we can. Uh, show you I'll, I'll, I'll probably keep that for the summer. <laughs> it wouldn't be a bad idea. Yep. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, uh, your work, whatever you you like to share, where you studied, etc. Sure. Um, so you know, I live in Norway. I'm Norwegian, but I spent a lot of my life growing up in and around Europe. Um, went to school in in uh, England, Germany. Uh, was a few years in Spain as well, before doing my university studies then in Italy. Uh, after that, I worked for a few years in London in the financial markets industry before moving back to Norway uh, with my wife around 2009. And since then, working a little bit in the financial markets industry. But since about six years ago, started working in uh, financial technology towards the financial markets mm-hmm. industry. Uh, it's basically the short version of, of at least the professional side of my background. Me as a person, very interesting. Wife, no kids. Uh, been to we've been together for 13, 14 years. Married for wow. ten. Um, enjoy um, being together, watching TV, looking at films, traveling, things like that. Um, I don't know. It depends what you're interested in knowing about. Hmm. Well, that that's that's a pretty decent uh, rundown, I guess, and. Uh, you're very well traveled by now. Uh, you, you've been to, you've, you've lived in four or five countries so far. That's yep. That's, that must be interesting. I mean, it certainly adds a lot of insight and cultural understanding, etc. And 
you tell us a little bit about the traveling, if, if you may? Yeah, well, you know, I don't only travel around Europe. I, I've only lived in these countries, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Um, but, you know, I, I lived in Germany quite a long time. I lived there, I think, uh, 10 years altogether. So speak German as well, English, uh, quite good at Spanish as well. Uh, Italian, not so good. It's sort of in the in, in between, but I really like in learning new languages, at least, you know, the, the ones which I find some use for in the... Uh, you know the practicalities of life or in business so i just i just like meeting new people basically it's mm. very nice to learn about different ways people live so you speak about four languages yeah okay you qualify as a polyglot officially <laughs> maybe 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 something like that so uh, what are you passionate about yeah so you know even since I was around 13, I've always been interested in technology, was, you know, even coding some things back then. And even though I studied business at university, I was running a sort of side business while I was studying and basically was programming up my own website. This was back in the days before Facebook and YouTube and things like that, mm. back when the internet was, you could still find everything, but it was much more spread out and you had to really know how to use these search engines. So you had to be in these forums and know where to look for things. Right. Mm. So basically what I did was I consolidated a lot of flash games and viral videos from, from the internet onto one sort of centralized place. And I translated, you know, everything into Norwegian, you know, so that the people visiting the site could understand what is this game or what is this video about? And then it just became really, really popular. And, uh, was running Google ads on the site and as a student making, you know, $2,000 a month just with ads and only having to, you know, after you built it, work five, 10 minutes a day was very, I thought it was a very fun thing to do. Of course. And uh, it gave me a, a good base for when I started, started working. So technology, I'd say is one of the things I'm very passionate about. I really like the things you can do to make people's lives easier, make your own life easier. Mm -hmm. uh, you can automate a lot of things. It teaches you a, a different way to think about problems and how to, to solve them. You start thinking in a sort of very logical way, but you also think, okay, this problem can be solved in maybe 10 different ways. Which one do I want to go for efficiency here? Do I want to go for what's the most easy solution? And, and what are the... Um, uh, what do you call it? The um, compromises that you have to make between these two decisions yes. yes for example yeah so these are these are the things i like to do hmm. it's very interesting and uh you you studied business but you decided at some point to as i as i see from your linkedin uh, progression that you've you've gone into the technology side and you've been there for a few years now after uh, working in uh, the financial market for a while Right, right. So before in, I was working in the financial markets industry, and now we actually work with the technology that serves this industry. So I'm a senior product manager for a company called Infront in Norway. Mm. Um, basically, they're creating market data terminals and uh, web technology products. So for example, let's say you're a, a large bank and you want to show on your website, you want to show market data, you want to connect this market data to your trading technology, uh, things like that. These are the kind of services that uh, we are doing for these kind of customers. 
That's very nice. And obviously your financial background uh, is a, is a definite uh, advantage. And, and yeah, so it really helps to, when I'm talking to these customers because they have very specific needs and they have lots of different scenarios or customer types they have to, to satisfy, for example. And one thing is you could talk to a developer and try to explain all these things to them, but there will always be some kind of scenario case you didn't consider. And, oh, well, everything I said is true, but actually there's an, in this case, this customer wanted it this way and it makes sense because. And if, if you don't actually have experience from the industry, it's a lot harder to understand and fill in all these gaps in something you're trying to create. Very, very nice, very interesting work. It, it must be tough though, I mean, from uh... Well, these are quite demanding customers, right? Because they're handling people's money and mm -hmm. or some investors' money to some extent. Um, it relies a lot on, you know, the data being very accurate. Um, you know, we do a lot of streaming data as well. And let's say if you, if you want to compare it to something like Netflix, Netflix is also streaming, right? That's but correct. If you, if you lose any, any data during the streaming events, it doesn't really matter. It just skips to the next frame, for example, right? That's right. Doesn't really matter, but for us, we cannot lose any data on the way because then all the data becomes um, inaccurate. It becomes worth nothing in a way. Mm -hmm. So we have to really have good control over the things that we're delivering for all the different uh, servers and networks. We have to be very cautious what kind of browsers the users are using. That we are making things that work uh, cross browser, cross device in the in a good way. Yep, redundancies and. Mm -hmm. Zero yeah. downtime and the whole shebang, as they say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, why did you decide to uh, to join the MSIE program? Yeah, so for me, there's there's a like at least three or four motivations for doing this. You know, on, on the one hand, I started working straight after my bachelor's degree, so at some point, I've always wanted to to do a master's. This secondly is that. There's different paths you can go on in your life. And I see these paths as sort of like um, different possible scenarios. So you're doing some kind of scenario management here. One scenario is you can continue working in the current company you're working for. Of course, then you want to make yourself more attractive for uh, more senior positions in the future. Mm -hmm. Who is going to be evaluating you? It's probably people also who has master's degrees. And people like to hire people who are more similar to them, for example. That's or if correct. you have two candidates which are very similar but one has a master's one doesn't who are you going to choose the safer option probably for mm -hmm. example that's one scenario the second scenario is that i have done this sort of pseudo entrepreneurial thing during university and i really sort of enjoyed it uh i do one of the things that i find difficult with jumping ship and doing entrepreneurial activity now is you know i'm married i have a mortgage and everything like that and yes. What is, what is going to increase, I know that a lot of these startups, you know, can go bankrupt or be bad timing or bad yeah, luck. About, about what can I do to increase my chances to be successful? What things should I be considering, et cetera, et cetera. And also I felt like I had some holes in the knowledge, for example, with regards to the best ways to finance a startup, for example, because everything mm. I did before I've just done as a yes, hobby. Mm. Yeah. This bootstrapping method, as uh, as the one teacher said in that class, and I didn't really actually understand very much about how these companies were finding their money and how they were structuring uh, and pitching these to get them to get their uh, things running, and then also what you should be doing 
to grow to become something really big. Hmm. Um, so I've been trying to learn a lot from my employers, you know, on their dime, learning what mistakes they have in terms of the people they hire, the process they have, and stuff like that. And then I wanted to have this masters as well as a sort of a kind of am I if I really go do this, do I think I'll have a good chance of succeeding if I keep my head down and work hard. Fantastic. Fantastic. And uh, do you have any near term projects you're going to be working on, whether personal or, uh, or perhaps related to company and any long term goals that you could share with us? Well, you know, the good thing about working in product is, well, one, you're working on, uh, you're sort of like the mini CEO of this product area, right? Yeah. So you get to do a lot of decision making, you speak to a lot of stakeholders. Of course, you're not investing your own money. Maybe you have some shares, maybe you don't in the company, but you're sort of managing this, this product and how it's going to be packaged, sold to customers, what the developers are going to be working on and things like that. So you're sort of running it in a mini way yourself. Uh, secondly, if you have the opportunity to start your own product within the company, you can do it on their dime as well and see how that's going. So mm -hmm. what's happening, what happened in the last four years was that I was able to start my own product line within the company I'm working for. And this is in something that's growing quite well, uh, especially since 2016. And mm -hmm. we're now, it's now being used by a lot of the big banks. It's uh, web technologies and mobile technologies. It's sort of like a software library, mm -hmm. market data and trading. And the up and coming there basically is uh, we have a long pipeline of uh, large banks who want to do things differently with this library than the others have been doing. So that's also, that's very exciting. Awesome. And uh, long-term goals, anything your long-term goals? Well, yeah. I haven't, I haven't talked to some other people who want to bring me into a startup. Uh, mm. I think that could be an interesting thing to do, but more long-term that, uh, one of my main motivations here is financial independence so that I can choose in a way Cheers do I want to, to work or not. I mean, I can work more as I can work because I enjoy working. That's correct. As that is a thing because that way you don't have to be sort of like a slave to the employer or a slave to your mortgage or a slave to anything else. You say, mm -hmm. I work in this company because I think it's fun to do. As long as it's fun to do, I will continue. Otherwise I'll do something else. And this could be to start your own thing. It could be to invest in something. But to be at the stage of financial dependence, I guess that's my, my long-term goal because then you're free and you can do what you like. I think a lot of our colleagues are going to agree with this one. It, mm -hmm. it certainly is a priority for a lot of people. And my next question, there's, there's a little stigma about failure, as you know. Mm -hmm. especially in the business world. So can you share a failure or a parent failure that set you up for a later success? Sure. Um, the easiest one to speak about is one of the early failures we had with one of the products uh, that I started now. You know, it's gone well with a few of the customers, but I remember one customer we had, uh, quite a large Nordic brokerage, um, was looking to use our one of our products to replace one of their own in-house developed legacy products, something which hadn't been built upon for the last 10 years. Hmm. Here comes us, they want to buy our products and they want to give it to their customers. Great, we think, you know, this is two, 3,000 new people, a lot of money, blah, blah, blah. Let's, we go for it. So we had a project and 
like, okay, we're missing these and these features. Would they need it before they can go live? We, we scoped really hard. Okay, you guys need this, this, and this. What is the minimum requirement for you guys to go live? And then we, we went through the project. We delete everything. They were happy. Bam, we go live. And? New customers are happy. Mm-hmm. Customers who have been using this old technology for a long time, less happy. Why? Well, there were some things we didn't consider, right? So the, on the one hand, the old technology they had, yeah, it was old, but it had, it had uh, more customizable features than we were offering. We had limited the choice of customizability in our product, and these customers who were used to this old legacy product were missing these features. Secondly, the, um, the brokerage who was charging their customers for this service or this platform, for example, were charging the same price as they were before, but they were offering less data in it. And for us, we weren't really controlling which data they wanted to show their customers. Hmm. In financial markets, there's two types of live data you can get. There's one called level one data, which is only showing, for example, the bid and the ask price. Hmm. And there's level two data where we can actually see all the, all the orders for buying and selling in the order books. You see basically many, many levels. Hmm. They were... In the old software, they were giving this away included in the price, and in the new software, they were not including in this price. So the customer had this perception that the product was actually worse than the old one, also because of how our customer chose to package in the new solution. And we didn't think about this at all, actually, when we were uh, trying to launch this product with them together. Mm. So if you're doing a B2B2C solution, one thing is, is you know trying to get everything done so that your B2B part is happy with it. You really need to think about the B2B2C as well. What is the your customer offering their customers? Will it make your uh, product look good in the good light? Are they doing things which will which will make uh, things better or, or worse for you? Because it also affects your reputation somehow. Of course. Of course. And any key lesson? Uh, I mean, you, you just shared the B2B2C lesson and... And any anything personal you think you would avoid if if in the future from from that experience? You know, we were very focused on what we could do to make sure that this the um, our direct customer was happy. But what what we should have looked at more is what was the current solution offering they had to their existing customers, uh, in, not only including the features, but what is the what are the they seeing in terms of market data? What are they paying in terms of price? What, are, what is the, the whole value proposition there versus the whole value proposition of, okay, we fixed these features, but is the whole value proposition just as good as before? Is it better or is it actually worse? And how do we actually want to go live with something like that? Perfect. Perfect. Uh, that's, uh, that's a pretty complex problem, I guess. Um, and uh, one that, that many people would miss because we normally don't think of second order or third order consequences to, to our actions. And initially what you would be thinking of in, in any sort of project is your client and your deliverables to him. But yeah, well, one, one company which has done it well, for example, at least I guess you would say they've done it well is Apple. For example, Apple sell for these Apple stores everywhere. They set strict requirements to these Apple stores that you have to have these wooden tables. The customer experience has to be really good. You have to be at at least this level of care for uh, people who come in with problems. And if you don't meet this, you cannot sell our products. Mm, Yeah. Right. And that, that's actually, they're doing exactly what we didn't do in this case. Mm. 
if, yes. it, if that might be a little bit more relatable for uh, yeah, yeah of course of course it is so uh, uh, let's talk about stuff that's outside work um, mm -hmm. hobbies volunteering other interests what, what do you do when you're not working when I'm not working um, I go to the gym I like traveling I do quite a lot of gaming uh, mostly PC gaming, sometimes also Xbox. Uh, I enjoy competitive gaming, for example. Mm. Uh, I do programming in my spare time, mostly small projects, testing out new technologies, uh, trying to keep up where everything is changing because everything's changing very fast. Um, yes. And I like watching a lot of documentaries. I like watching, learning new things on uh, Udemy, for example, or watching YouTube, watching these very educational or interesting programs that's available there. I actually watching less and less TV and less and less movies and much more YouTube than I mm. used to, surprisingly. Yeah, I get that. Uh, it's It's been uh, my trend as well. And um, so any documentary that you would recommend? I mean, speaking of documentaries. Uh, it depends, <laughs> depends what you're interested in. I mean... If you like technology, you could watch something like Revenge of the Nerds. Uh, if you like anthropology, I watch. I like to watch a lot of things about anthropology. I don't really have any specific names, but there's there's lots of things about the origins of humans or ancient humans. There's mm. uh, there's things about nature, about amphibians, or about different continents in the world. You could you could watch. Um, I, I just, I'm basically browsing to see what's interesting. And if it, I find it interesting, then I watch it. And any book recommendations? Mm, for the cohorts or for just pleasure? or Let's do both. <laughs> Something that you think would be helpful for the cohort and you know, for them achieving either entrepreneurial success or personal success, however you define it. Right. Well, there was a good book I read about a year or two ago called Tribes by Seth Godin. Have yes. you read that? I haven't read it, but I've, I've read a few books for, uh, for Seth Godin. I've, read, or I've heard about that. Right. Yeah. So th this is a, actually a really good book and it talks more or less about, um, it's a very deep human need to be part of a tribe. It's, it's mm. one of our survival mechanisms uh, to be a part of a group of like-minded people. Um, it, it sort of talks about how you can position yourself as sort of like this leader of the tribe, how you can convince people to follow your idea and how not only this is our natural instinct, but how you could apply this in the business world. Um, you could think about, you know, back in the old days with the mobile phone, when Nokia was the biggest mobile phone company, all they were doing basically was offering very functional and good cheap mobile phones. But all of a sudden here comes Apple and uh, does things very differently, but they got this sort of following of people who really, really were passionate about their products and were then spreading, you know, like to their friends, all of this phone is so good. And they felt like they became a bit of a tribe in a way and it just sort of spread out <laughs> and spread out towards more and more people. And so they try to sort of relate this instinct from human beings and how we work as communities and how you can apply this in the business world. So I think it's a good book that people would get a lot out of. And it's very relevant. You heard them, guys. Uh, we need to become a tribe here. So 
it, it would be actually nice if uh, if we can increase engagement to a point where uh, where people are willing to collaborate in the future outside the projects of uh, of the program. And um, I think we've taken enough time from our listeners. And so uh, if you'd like to close with any message to our uh, classmates, the, the mic sure. is Guys, very good luck with your exams next week. Uh, enjoy your vacations while they last. Um, I think it's what we've had so far has been a very good introduction. I think we have a few weeks to reflect on what has happened and the, and the people we've met. Uh, so we can be better prepared in September because after that, I don't think there's actually very much vacation at all until next November, maybe next summer, maybe some around the winter time, but that's about it. Perfect. Uh, thank you very much for your time, Peter. Have a great evening and thank you everyone for listening. Goodbye. Thank you for that. Bye.